Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a returning guest. It's Felix Velardi from 2Y3X. Felix, last time you were on the show, we talked about the role of the CFO in strategy and in growing a business quickly. But I know you've been doing some interesting work all about valuations of businesses, multipliers of businesses that I thought would be very, very interesting to relate back to our audience. So it's nice to see you again, Kevin. Uh, thanks for having me back. I guess I have. It's interesting what happens in, I can't remember how long it's been since we last spoke, but it's been a bloody busy year. Yeah. I know that this is going out, Felix, on the the day that you're launching Scale at Speed Media in a, a big four-day event in the USA. That's right. So we've got, that's happening in Austin, Texas, which is where one of my ventures is. So I, the beginning of this year, Having had 2Y3X running now for what, seven or eight years, and the 2Y3X program, which is the scaling program that was the, the source of the book Scale at Speed, I then became co-founder of Ava Acquisitions based in Austin. And Ava Acquisitions goes out and buys companies, buys agencies, and then applies the principles of Scale at Speed and 2Y3X to the companies that we acquire and then scales those companies rapidly. So yeah, so having had a long career of being a serial agency founder, some amazingly successful and one or two kind of learning experiences, <laughs> and then running an agency group and then running the scaling program, and now the boot's on the other foot, and I'm, I'm starting to buy agencies. In fact, we announced our first big acquisition earlier this summer of an agency in Atlanta, and that's starting to scale up. Yeah. So. Just to remind listeners, there's your book, Scale at Speed, which I'll put a link to in the show notes that talks about all about what Felix does. But 2Y is two years, 3X is a three times multiplier. So looking at tripling the size of a business in two years, which is some going. And Felix, originally, you were setting up agencies yourself. You were doing pretty much this. And you are growing them organically, no external funding, bootstrapping them. So it sounds as though AVA acquisitions is a little bit different and you've got some investor money now. Uh, Yes, indeed. I mean, I'm a great believer that if you can get a business off the ground by making the business successful, as in, in other words, bootstrapping it, going off, winning a client, proving that you can deliver, winning another client, hiring some people to deliver more proving that that works and scaling that way. I think that that's, you know, that's what most entrepreneurs do. And it's, it's a test. And I did that for 20 years. And it's hard work, I have to say. And getting other people's money is, is great. Obviously, you get a smaller share of a potentially a bigger pie and potentially you should be able to accelerate further. And depends on what the business model is. I mean, Ava Acquisitions, we're buying agencies that have by and large been grown organically. And then we are applying a scaling program that then further grows them organically, just at a more accelerated pace. 
Now, in order to do the acquisitions at our end at Ava, obviously, we need capital to be able to go out and buy agencies so that we can help them scale. And so the capital that we raised from investors, private investors, family offices, and so on, is, as you say, is other people's money. Um, but it allows us to do this kind of organic scaling, but at scale, to do what we do, what it says on the, the tin, really, to scale at speed. Yeah. And, and you're, the interesting program. thing is you're, you're still scaling organically. Yeah. So you're doing the, the scale bit without bringing in any external funding. Yes, the external funding that we're using is to acquire the companies so yes. that the founders who've by and large put in years of serious effort to, to get their companies to a certain point organically now need external help. And that doesn't mean external money. It means external help, external knowledge, external expertise, external processes and frameworks and so on. But at the same time, they want, as entrepreneurs, to take some money off the table and realize some return on their years of investment. And that's where us acquiring their businesses comes into it, is you know, we can give them money to take off the table. We can give them their options. You know, someone to leave, someone to retire, someone to carry on, but go back to being the chief creative officer rather than kind of broadband and restrooms, which is what Having been an agency founder myself, that was my principal job at one point. It gives people options. And for us, it gives us agencies that we know are capable of scaling and allows us to deploy the resources that are required in order to help those agencies scale really by engaging the talent in the companies to design the next version of those agencies and then take the company there. It's a good model. It works. We, as I say, we did a big acquisition in. Felix, now a lot of this, we had, you and I had a chat a few weeks ago, and we talked about valuations of agencies. And some of the mm. things you revealed to me were, were quite fascinating. And you would be looking to buy an agency. The existing owners will be looking to get some money out of it. So we'll be looking for a, a valuation. But you want to get the agency at a price that is worthwhile so that you can scale it and get more out of it two, three years, years down the line when you sell it. So how do those valuations work? Tell me a little bit more about that. So valuations, agencies are peculiar because they are service-based businesses. They are entirely built on human relationships. So there's no real, it's, it's not like you've, you're building widgets and sticking them in a warehouse yeah. and therefore they have intrinsic value. So that, that's common to a lot of businesses these days. A lot, of, a lot of online businesses, you could say the same. You're not selling real product and we're not running an agency and grow CFO. We've got some online resources, similar sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we've worked, you know, we've had people come through 2Y3X program, you know, law firms, and production companies and creative agencies and all sorts, service-based businesses, because they're so human rather than just about process or mechanics or software, um, they, they tend to be valued based on the relationships that they have with their clients as well or as much as the people inside the agency. So valuation is based on a multiple of profit. And in 
the UK, it's slightly different to the US. So US multiples are slightly lower than UK multiples. And a multiple is essentially a multiple of the profit, the annual profit that the business is worth to the buyer. And the way that that's calculated, by and large, is by saying, okay, well, if it's a small business with a small profit, then the likelihood of it going bust next year is high. If it's a big business with a big profit, the likelihood of it going bust next year is low. And so the smaller business will attract a lower multiple. So say you're making 100,000 a year in net profit. That's not very much. It's not a very big company. It's probably 10 people, probably a dozen clients, maybe. And the risk of not making a profit next year is probably quite high. And all it takes is little run of bad luck or two people, key people leaving or two clients quitting. And you might not make a profit at all next year. So if I, as the buyer, am looking at your business and I'm thinking, well, you made 100 grand this year. Next year, you're either going to make 100 grand or you're possibly not going to make anything. So I might value your business as one times your profit. So I'm valuing your business at 100 grand. Now, say in a year's time, you've actually made 200 grand. I might look at that business and say, well, next year, the likelihood of you going to zero is probably not very, not so high. But the likelihood of you going from 200 to 100 next year is quite high. So I might value your business at one and a half times this year's profit, so 300 grand in total, because that's this year's profit and next year's possible low profit. So the higher the profit, the higher the multiple tends to be. That's that's the general principle. Now, in the UK, that might mean that you are, if you're making half a million in net profit, then I might value your business at three times your net profit, I might value your business at a million and a half with the following wind, if I thought that your business was safe. If you're making a million, I might value your business at five times your profit, so five million, because you're safer, you're less risky. So again, that's the principle. In the US, it's slightly different. The multiples are lower. So at a million, your multiple might be three. And a half a million, your multiple might be one or one and a half. Because in America, the 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 sheer scale and volume of a number of agencies and the riskiness of agencies is much higher. So, so it becomes much more of a buyer's market in the US. Now, I look at those multiples in the UK, for example, or in the US, doesn't matter which, I look at those multiples as a buyer and I say, okay, what increases the risk? Well, if you've got a smaller number of clients, then the risk to your business is higher because if two out of your five clients leave, then your business is screwed. And therefore, I've lost my money or I'm in danger of losing my money. So I will discount. More clients is better. More clients is better. Longer contracts with those clients is better. Longer contracts with key staff is better. A defined market position is better. A fewer competitors is better. So there are all sorts of different things that I will look at when I'm valuing a business and say, well, actually that introduces risk and therefore I'm going to take it, I'm going to shave down my multiple that I'm, and I think there's lots of ways of slightly reducing the cost or the price that I will pay based on the increase in risk introduced by some of these factors like a lack of fame or a planning director who might leave or 
the lack of process or other things like that. The lack of financial rigor is a good one. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, Felix. But if, say, you're buying an agency because you've got another agency already that's somewhat bigger than the first one, well, can't you discount an awful lot of those things? Because you're saying, well, fine, the agency I'm buying might only have 10 clients, but I've got 30 clients that I can sell the services of the new agency to. Uh, yes, and that might boost the price slightly if the seller knows that that's the case. Yeah. But if they don't, I'll stick to the standard rates. Yeah. Okay. And when I was selling agencies, which, I, you know, I did for 20 years. In fact, I, I, I still help agencies sell now. I would pay a lot of attention to making sure that the discount factors didn't apply to me. And I spent a lot of time figuring out what the strategic fit might be between my agency and potential buyers, and then sharpening that up. I'd spend a lot of time figuring out what the proposition, the most attractive proposition for my agency would be, so that buyers who lacked creativity or CRM or some, some other specific attribute would find my agency more attractive, and therefore I could try and drive up the price. Mm. In the end, it's a negotiation. The buyer will try and buy at the lowest sensible price that accounts for as many of risks as possible. But if you are an attractive agency, the buyer will spend what is worth to them to have you. So as a seller, as a vendor of an agency or founder of an agency, it's up to you to make your agency look as attractive as possible. And in fact, that's where 2Y3X came in originally. The reason that I started formulating the 2Y3X program whenever it was eight or 10 years ago was so that I could maximize the value of my agency. So that when a buyer came along and said, what about this risk? What about that risk? I could say, well, we've already addressed it and here's the plan. And 2Y3X came directly out of that risk mitigation process because it turns out that if you address the principal discount factors, you start scaling faster. Mm. Absolutely. So let's think of some practicalities here. If you buy an agency, say at a multiple of one and a half, for the sake of a number, you scale it three times, as the formula would suggest. What are you looking like then, Felix, in terms of increase in valuation? You're, you've got a three times bigger profit, but you're not just going to sell now at one and a half. What, what sort of leverage are we going to have on the valuation of the business by putting that sort of level of growth in in a couple of years? Well, let me give you a, a decent and recent illustration. So say your net profit is 400 grand. Your multiple might be four times, right? 4x. Yep. So your value is 1.6 million. Yep. Okay. So this obviously this is a following wind. All of you, you've addressed all your discount factors. You're really attractive. You're the best in the market. The buyer really wants you. They're going to pay you a multiple of four times your EBIT of 400 grand, right? You're going to pocket 1.6 million. Now, if you could double your EBIT, your net profit from 400 grand to 800 grand, well, at 800 grand, your multiple might be six times profit. Yep. So if you could wait for a couple of years and double your net profit, you'd go from a multiple of four times 400K equals 1.6 million to six 
times 800K, which is 4.8 million. So yeah. you've gone from 1.6 million to 4.8 million in value and the amount that you'll trouser at the end of it, which is three times the value. Yeah. Now that's serious, right? That so, is serious. You know, it's worth spending a little bit of time doubling your EBIT if you can. Hmm. And it gets even more stark when you, if you three exit. So if you go from your 1.6 million, which is multiple of four times 400, if you could go three times that 400 and you could get yourself to 1.2 million net profit, your multiple might go up to eight. If it goes up to eight, eight times 1.2 million is 9.6 million. So you've gone from 1.6 million value to 9.6 million value in a couple of years. That's six times the amount of money you're going to take home. Mm. Now, completely conscious, I would say this, but 2Y3X is two years 3X, right? This is the formula. That's why it's called 2Y3X. The problem with it is by waiting for a couple of years, you're introducing risk by holding your own company. Because in the course of the next two years, there might be another pandemic. Or somebody might drive a a boat into Tower Bridge and shut London down for who knows what could go wrong in the next two years. So you might think, you might actually sit down and say, well, do you know what? 1.6 million today is worth taking rather than risking the next couple of years where, yes, I might go to 4.8 million instead of 1.6 or even 9.6 if a miracle happened. But that 1.6 might be enough. Then mm. so only you can decide that as you're selling your company. Now, where that applies to Ava and what I do now is that we're buying companies at today's multiple, at that four times 400 or two times 400 or whatever it is. And actually, because it's in the States, it's more likely to be 1.5 times 400. And then we're applying 2Y3X to it. And then we're buying the rest of the company from the founder at the new higher valuation. So by giving the company to or selling parts of the company to Ava on day one at a low value, and then us introducing 2Y3X to it and scaling it as fast as we possibly can, they're then getting a second bite of the cherry at the much higher valuation. That's a really interesting model, Felix, that keeps the the original owners of the company absolutely engaged, absolutely involved, know that they've got a prize at the end of this if they do it right. They don't feel in that original transaction, I guess, that they're being ripped off, that's selling the company for too low a price to this acquisition monster. <laughs> because they, they've what they're doing is simply diluting their risk. They've taken 50% of the money now. Yeah, well, 70% to whatever whatever the formula is. And the other 50 yes, it turns out to be worth actually 200%. <laughs> yeah, quite. And they get the option to, I mean, in our case, and it's, everybody's different, right? There are lots of acquisition models, and there are, you could sell to Interpublic, and you can get and, and become part of a big gray machine. I may be biased. I sold to one of my agencies to Interpublic once. It was a beastly experience. So different holding companies, different acquirers have different models. For us, it's bottom-up. It's driven by the principles in the book, Scale of Speed, which are about finding the next generation of talent, getting the next that generation to design the next version of the agency and then pull you along there, right? Other models are come into our group and we'll tell you how to run your business. And in fact, we'll put a new manager in your business and your business will become part of our business. 
So, you know, there are lots of different ways of doing it. I just happen, obviously, to be biased towards the way that we're doing it because it's more human-centric and more about giving founders options. You say, for me, being able to say to a founder, do you know what, if you want to retire, retire. You're still going to get the back half of your money because you built this agency, right? It's just that another team is going to be taking it there. And if you retire on day one of doing a deal with us, you won't get a salary for the next couple of years, but you'll still get the payout at the end because it's your company. Some people want to stick around. Some people don't want to stick around. Some people want to go into group management, which, you know, to play on a bigger stage because maybe they're bored. And some people want to go back to being a client services person because they don't like the operational side of the company. So, Felix, going back then to the principles of Scale at Speed, the book, let's say you just bought an agency. It's day one. You're now going to think about what am I going to do with this agency? Where does the process start? It started before then, to be honest, for us. Because when we're looking to acquire agencies, we're looking for agencies that really want help to grow and want, they don't want somebody to come in and tell them how to run the company, but they want to know how to, they want to be shown how to scale their company. And for us, 2Y3X, and there, there are two or three different types of scaling program. 2Y3X happens to be one that gets the team involved in, in making the future decisions and driving the growth. So that takes a certain kind of founder. For us, we look for founders who who know that they're the bottleneck, who know that they may be limiting growth, who actually want their people to have a stake in the future, and who really want to see their people flower and become fulfilled. Right? Mm, yes. and, and most of us as, as founders get in the way of that, and we don't really know how to get out of the way. Now, if we can talk, if we can find people like that, those are the sorts of people who will respond really, really well to understanding the 2Y3X program, the sort of strategy map and the execution roadmap and all of those kinds of things that devolves the decision-making and the growth driving to the team rather than it all being top-down. So it becomes more bottom-up um, than top-down. And that's, by and large, for those kinds of people, those kinds of founders, it's a relief to see the people that you've nurtured and that you've hired actually coming into their own starting to drive the business, that's an amazing experience, an amazing feeling for a certain type of person. So we'll have pre-qualified people long before we get into even the deal format discussions and so on. So by the time that deal day is is upon us, they're waiting, they're ready for 2Y3X to come in and say, right, here's the framework. Let's all sit around a table and figure out what the strategy is going to be. Let's design the plan of action for the next three years together. And then let's facilitate how that's going to work. And right, now you've got to get on with it. So it's actually business as usual. 2Y3X is almost exactly the same when applied to companies that we've acquired as it is for independent agencies who join the program by themselves. Yeah, I guess that you've done some of the standard bits of analysis you'd probably do in putting a strategy together as part of your acquisition process. You've probably got sitting on a piece of paper somewhere the SWOT analysis. Of course, yeah. We'll know indeed. Discount factors. Totally. So we figured out the discount factors. We've also then done proper due diligence yeah. in going into the deal because we need to understand, you know, where all the where all the wrinkles are and where all the screw ups have been because we've all made them. You know, we've all got stuff yeah. that 
we don't like to remember about relationships in business that we've had or broken or, you know, yeah. we, we, everybody needs to know where the body's buried so that we can fix it and make sure that they don't, those things are headed off at the past next time, right? But we also need to see where the value is in the business, again, as you said, so that we can understand where the risk, factor, the risk factors are and the discount factors are. The program itself, 2Y3X, the way that it works is not by saying, here are all the things you've got to fix. The whole premise of this is we say, where do you want to be in three years' time? What numbers do you need to be making in three years' time in order for you to maximize your earnout, right? your payout as a founder? What kind of culture do you want to have built in three years' time? Do you want this place to be a destination place for the best future talent? Do you want it to be a destination place for people who are already at the top of their game? Or do you want this to be a pile them high, uh, sell it cheap sweatshop? Mm. What kind of place do you want it to be? And what kind of product do you want to be putting out? You know, are you the best business to government agency in the northeast of the United States, for example, or wherever? So those goals is where you start. You start at the end of three years with those goals. And then you say, okay, so if we want these goals to be true, what do we need to be doing in year three in order for those things to happen by the end of it? Yeah. Um, what do we need to be doing then in year two in order to make three year three possible? What do we need to be doing in year one in order to be ready for year two? And suddenly you've got a whole basket of things you've got to do this coming year that are tasks, and then we just line them up and put them in the right order and distribute them across the year and distribute them across the team. And then we say, okay, right, here's a cadence, here's a methodology, here's some reading to do so you can figure out what a risk register is or what a, you know, how to hire superstars or how to hold people to account or how to do timesheets or whatever the, the task is that they've identified, they will get on with it. Yeah. Which is exactly the sort of stuff that we teach in the Grocery of our Strategy Bootcamp. Mm-hmm. Start where you want to be in year three, work backwards. Completely. It's- I think you know, we, we talked about those discount factors, those things that are currently going wrong. If you start off in year one and your major thrust of effort is to fix those things, well, great, you've fixed them, you've got rid of some discount factors, but you haven't necessarily done the things you needed to do in year one in order to be ready for the year two and year three. That yeah, exactly. So, so I don't think the risk factors or the, the, the discount factors are necessarily, when we were designing 2Y3X, they were the genesis of it. Yeah. But they're very, very rarely are they real, instant, I- immediate addressables. Mm. One of the risk factors, discount factors, is a lack of succession team, right? Well, the Growth Lab team that we put together, these five or six people who are going to drive the strategy and the the long-term plan and then the short-term plan of action, they kind of become your succession team because six months or nine months in, they're running the company. I don't mean from a managerial point of view, but I mean from a strategic growth point of view. Yeah. So, well, that takes care of that. We don't need to address succession teams. It's addressed along the way, kind of tacitly. Scalability, exactly the same as another big discount. Is your agency scalable? Well, not in its current format. You guess what? By the time you apply 2Y3X, not only is it scalable, it's scaling. Yes. Financial rigor. Well, we need to understand which clients are profitable and which clients are not profitable. Absolutely. And if you don't, and most people don't really know that. 
Yeah, because your your three X isn't turnover. Your three X is profit. Profit. Yeah. Yes. But most people don't really measure the profit, the relative profitability of all their clients. Yeah. Most people they've got some clients where they they kind of think, well, we overservice them, but they're really nice. Mm. Yeah. And I've got some real experience of that. When we had to turn a business around in in ICI, okay, we were producing mm. product, but it's similar principle. And we found out very quickly that there was a 20% of our customer base that was driving 80% of the cost in the business. Mm. Well, Pareto, reverse Pareto. 20% of our customers were pulling in 80% of the profit. Right. And they weren't necessarily the ones that you thought were high gross margin. Absolutely not. They had loads of stuff. They didn't complain. They didn't want anything clever. They needed very low sales effort. They needed mm. very low customer service. So funny, don't just automatically think that the, the client that's giving you the big fee is necessarily the client that's giving you all your profit because it, it doesn't hold true. This is where financial rigor comes into it. And having a CFO or an FD who actually wants to understand how the business makes money I mean, I remember having a meeting with my first agency. I literally had blue hair. I went to see the managing director of a huge ad agency, Abbott Mead Vickers in London. And he sat me down and he said, because it was at very early days of digital. He said, how do you make money? And I said, we wing clients. I had no idea how we made money. I didn't know what the mechanism was. Um, I think I might have glibly said, our business costs less to run than we get paid. Which, great, fantastic, but it's not particularly sophisticated, right? And the number of agencies that I've come across where they're making 10% profit, and they think, you know, 10% is, they think is quite good. 20% puts three months cash in the in, in your bank all the time, and three months cash is what you need to have a cushion just in case the next pandemic turns up. So you need to be making 20% net profit. You come into an agency, they're making 10% profit, and you say, okay, which clients are profitable and which ones aren't? And they say, well, they're all quite profitable. And you have a deep dive and you look into it. You look into timesheets and you look into utilization and recovery. And you figure out that 50% of their clients are making zero profit and 50% of their clients are making 20% profit. Yep. And that's why they're making 10% net profit because that's the average. Yeah. And that, that's the, the thing here. 2Y3X doesn't mean you've got to scale turnover. By Not at all. No, you're scaling profit. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, I know this sounds bizarre, but sometimes firing 50% of your clients can make you the same number of pound notes or dollars as you're making now, but at 20% profit yeah. with fewer people with yeah. or more capacity and less overwork and more quality. Yeah. And let's let's be clear, which we were talking about organic versus inorganic growth earlier. Mm. This is at the core of why you can do 2Y3X organically, because you're not looking at necessarily going out and recruiting a big sales team to get you three times as many clients, and you've got to start paying the sales team before the clients come in and therefore before the revenue comes in. You're talking about how do we take the business that we've got now and make it more profitable because if you can take that 10 percent and turn it into 20 percent, well hey the money is now in the bank that can start paying for the salespeople. exactly increasing so it's, it's, it's the kickstart right the kickstart yeah. is fix what you've got yeah okay 
And you need financial rigor to be able to do that because the financial rigor says, okay, let's look at our numbers. Let's figure out which of our service lines are not profitable, which of our people are not profitable, which of our clients are not profitable. Because if you can fix that, that drives that drives cash. Yes. Cash is, and another mistake a lot of people make is they say, oh, we can't hire a sales team because that's going to cost us £150,000 a year. Well, no, it's not. It's going to cost you £15,000 a month. Mm. Right? Might over a year cost you hundred and fifty grand, but you only have to pay for the sales team for one or two or three months because if it's not working at the end of that time, then you hired the wrong people, but it should be breaking even by then. Yeah. Salespeople should be turning a res- in a result in three in three months. So, so it, it might cost you that big amount of money in an annual term, but no. But it's but by an, terms, by the time you reach the end of the year, itself. by the time you've reached the end of that first year, your hundred and fifty grand should have been should have won you at least half a million of revenue. You would hope so, definitely. Well, if it hasn't, then you've not fired the bad salespeople fast enough. Yeah. And you know what they say, hire slowly, fire quickly, right? Mm. Yeah. I'd say in those situations, Felix, that the finance person who just looks at the profit and loss account is not the sort of finance person you want. You want the finance person who can understand what drives the costs. Yeah. And I must admit, I love doing in service businesses in particular, doing activity analysis. Mm. Simple questions. You just go ask people what they spend their time doing. Mm. And you get them to say, well, what products are you spending your time on? What customers are you spending your time on? We, back in ICI, when we were suddenly having to turn around the polypropylene business, we were making, I don't know if you remember the day when the, the can of Guinness came along, for the first time, that was draft Guinness. So you. Oh yes, that's right. We went, you pulled the thing, and the, the, the thing, thing froze at the bottom. Yeah, literally. Yeah, the little thing came. Up. Well, we designed the polymer that made that thing in the bottom of the can. <laughs> but yeah, when we had to turn the business around, we started looking at what we were doing on our development plant, and we started looking at the amount of development people's time that had gone into producing exactly the right specialist grade of plastic, so it would stay shut when the can was closed, and it would pop open as soon as the, the ring pull went. <laughs> and then realised that, hang on, this is a fortune. Yeah, we love the client. We love working on these clever things. We all adore this. But actually, how much polymer have you got to sell before you start paying all that research back? Yeah. You're never going to pay it back. And until you start looking at that level of detail, mm. you don't realise what the difference is. And we'd gone, because of market conditions, we'd gone from 20 million profit in one year to 20 million loss in the next. We did that sort of analysis and we ended up bringing 20 million back to break even, which wow. says that before the market went crap, we should have been making 40 million a year. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it? And it was down to just transferring away from these clever things into, well, polypropylene most of what comes out of the plant goes to belgium to the big carpet manufacturers they buy a very standard cheap grade of plastic to put in their carpets but hey they buy thousands upon thousands of tons of it they never ever complain and they repeat order every month mm. well, <laughs> <of> that, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's 
don't get me wrong. I'm a creative through and through, especially, you know, creative and creative strategy are my, my kind of, yeah. that's where my heart lies. And wanting to change the world and wanting to do good things and wanting to, to do amazing work is the driver for most of us as entrepreneurs. And we're not, thank goodness, held to just the financial results of third parties who don't care what we do for a living. They just want to see their their rate of return. So we're in a luxurious position as founders of agencies, as as entrepreneurs and as drivers of our own destiny, that we can pick and choose whether we make a profit or not. Yeah. We need the information so that we can make those decisions for ourselves based on data rather than based on gut feel. Because if you really do want to sell your company or you do want to grow, then you're going to have to make some decisions that actually may compromise your desire to be the most creative agency in the world or whatever it happens to be. Without that data, without the information about what's profitable, what's not profitable, you can't make business decisions. Mm. And ultimately, you know, I think if, if we take our responsibility for the people that we work with, for our colleagues and for our employees and for our clients, then we've got to take the business side of it just as seriously as we take the product side of it. Yeah, absolutely. And Felix, that has been fascinating. But in summing up, I'd say to any finance leader that's listening, if you're in the position that you need to take your business over that sort of 3x profit growth in the next couple of years, no. Number one, get a hold of Felix's book, Scale at Speed. I must admit, it's one of the best business books that I've learned over the last, I've read over the last couple of years. There's very little in there that's actually revolutionary. What Felix has done is pulled together an awful lot of the standard strategy theories and just applied them in a sensible and coherent way that actually works. And if you want to go a bit further than the Scale at Speed book, We've also got the Growth CFO Strategy Bootcamps, where we talk very much about the same things of scaling a business quickly in a couple of years. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. So, Felix, thank you very much for coming back and being a returning guest on the Growth CFO Show. Uh, my pleasure. Really nice to see you again, Kevin. Uh, great to answer your questions. Look forward to the next time. And good luck with the uh, Scale Speed Media launch in uh, Houston. Thank you.